Trish, it is the holiday season. So what is your favorite Christmas song? Favorite Christmas song is the um, the Mariah Carey one. The all I want for Christmas. The one that she's always in like a Christmas outfit singing. Yeah. There's always snow falling. Got a couple of background dancers. Yeah, they're fucking it up. <laughs> I think that song is, yeah, that's probably my favorite. I do like that song. I have to go with the classic This Christmas by Donny Hathaway. Oh, that's such a that's such a feel good that's such a feel good song, man. It's so good. Every time it comes on, I have to dance and sing. Yes. All right. So this is Shit Black Girls Watch, you guys. And we are on our last episode of the season, but also hopefully our best episode because it is our holiday episode. And we are talking about some of our favorite black Christmas movies. So I am your host, Mia, along with my best friend, Trish. And this has been a great season, you guys. We have, you know, exceeded our goals. And we're so thankful that you guys have been tuning in and fucking with us. (laughs) Um, And so we just wanted to say some thank yous. We got another review on the podcast, which is so amazing. This time it was from Naya Edge. And she said, I just started listening to podcasts. And being a 26-year-old, I want to listen to people talking about my people typed in black girls and you guys are one of the first ones that came up currently listening to you now and I feel like I'm in the room with you like I've known you forever thanks girl love it and love y'all too wishing y'all nothing but success thank you so much that is so sweet we hope that's resonating I just love all the positive feedback that we're getting because this is truly something that was random for us we love film we love talking crazy and we honestly have like the craziest and wildest conversations and we're like (laughs) (laughs) we just need to make this into a podcast so continue to uh subscribe definitely submit a review and also a comment we would love it you guys let us know what your favorite episode of this season was Trish what was your favorite episode this season oh man that's such a good question um damn it I think it was white actors black people love because that was so my bag (laughs) (laughs) and like I was an expert (laughs) and also let's just let you let's let them know that that episode was never even supposed to happen because we originally (laughs) were recording an episode about uh flavor of love spinoff oh it was gonna be so bad though (laughs) and yeah it just wasn't vibing like we wanted it to and so like in the middle of us recording Trish was just like you know I think we should do something else yeah so Trish legit put that episode together in one day my brainchild did all the research and that has actually been one of our best episodes uh viewership wise so y'all were fucking with it so it's just a testament of one follow your instincts and two always be willing to try something new look at you snap snaps Mia (laughs) (laughs) fuck it up so my favorite episode this season hmm that's tough we had such we had so many good episodes I think it goes to either the hood classics which is actually our number one episode this season or the black stereotypes of women black oh sorry stereotypes of black women in film I really enjoyed that conversation too yeah those were good I would probably rank it hood class I would probably rank it in that order too like if it was on my end it would be hood classics and then black female tropes 
good choices. Nice. So um, we just want to let you know that this episode of Shit Black Girls Watch is sponsored by TheRealEffect.tv, which is a Black entertainment news site that you guys can go to and read up on more Black news, um, film and television news. And also it has resources for those trying to enter into the film industry. If you guys didn't know, this is actually my website that I produced, created, and it's been going really well. I'm so thankful for the success that The Real Effect has had this year. I just posted an article about all of the Black Christmas movies that came out in 2020. So Yay. if you guys are looking for more Christmas movies, then check that out on the website. And if I missed one, let me know. And just a completely unbiased, completely objective opinion, that site is super fire. And that's where I go for all my information. So you guys should definitely check it out. Completely unbiased opinion. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right. So let's get into our Black Unicorn. You know, we start off every episode with our Black Unicorn. And this time we are talking about Miss Debbie Allen. Woo! And if you're wondering why I'm doing it. Yeah. Okay. So let me explain. <laughs> let me pull Kevin Hart here. I was not as familiar with Debbie Allen as I maybe should have been. So when Mia was talking about Debbie Allen, the first time she brought it up about this, you know, Nutcracker doc, I was like, who's Debbie Allen? And she was just like, her mouth dropped. I was like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I didn't know. Don't tell anyone. Don't you tell anyone. <laughs> but, um, listening to that story and like watching what took place leading up to it, that shit was amazing, man. So let's give them a little background. Yes. So um, I'm pretty sure there's plenty of people that don't know who De Debbie Allen is, but because <laughs> I am such a fan of her sister, Felicia Rashad, and also a huge fan of A Different World, I know who Debbie Allen is. I love A Different World. Um, <laughs> but Miss uh, Debbie Allen is an actress, dancer, choreographer, singer, songwriter, director, producer. She is truly a talented woman. When I tell you how, like, yeah. back in the day, how you used to have to have all the talents to be in the uh, industry as a Black person. That's why Prince was always so mad. What? Wait, what? <laughs> And Prince was always, you don't remember that, why him and Michael Jackson were beefing? It was because Michael Jackson didn't play instruments and Prince felt like he wasn't a real musician. Oh, no, I didn't know. Sorry, never mind. <laughs> Go ahead. So yes, Debbie Allen started off her uh, career as a dancer. She was actually the first Black uh, ballet dancer at the Houston Dance Foundation where she was raised in Houston, Texas. And through that journey of dancing and also growing up through, during the Jim Crow era, she really, you know, she is a prime example of opening so many doors for black people, specifically in the dance, you know, industry, along with, of course, the Alvin Ailey's and the great legends like that. But I think I love her so much because of the evolution of her career. She's most famously known for being on um, Fame. She was the dance or dance professor on Fame. But after that, you know, after doing Fame and doing Broadway shows and dancing and singing, she went on and directed 83 episodes of uh, A Different World. She directed and produced 83 of 144 episodes of A Different World. Like what? Yeah, I mean, it's so crazy because that's one of my favorite shows. I just, I didn't know. I didn't know. She is the reason that A Different World is, you know, what it is to this day, along with yeah. so many other people. But she is one of the primary people that helped mold that show into what it is today. So 
I just love her for that. She was also nominated for 20 Emmy Awards. A lot of those came from when she was on Fame. She won three of them. She has two Tony Awards. She has a Golden Globe and she has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yes, yes, yes. Snaps and claps for Miss Debbie Allen. She is legendary. She is legendary. So after doing so many things, she decided to open up the Debbie Allen Dance Academy in 2000. She felt that she wanted to create an environment for black and brown dancers to be free to really get the training that they needed to excel in um, dance and ballet and to really have professional careers in dance. And so she created that environment. And, you know, Alvin Ailey was one of the first donors to her uh, dance academy. He gave her like $50,000. And since then, she has been able to continue to grow and build the academy and has so many um, students that have successfully graduated from the academy and have like amazing careers. And so with that came her creating the hot chocolate nutcracker. Yeah, which is so cute. That was the first time I had heard of it. Yeah, me too. I'm not even gonna lie. I knew about the dance academy, but I didn't know that they had a special show called the hot chocolate nutcracker, which you guys can actually now see on Netflix. It is a documentary and you get to see the behind the scenes of them choreographing the, uh, the show. It has over 200 children in this play and you get to see all of them rehearsing, all of the different scenes, the professors. It's just a really inspiring story. Yeah, it also really. goes into her background and her kid, her daughter's background as well. What I found really interesting actually was that um, I was reading up on how the documentary came to be because it was produced by Shondaland. So I was just like, oh, Shondaland came to Debbie Allen and wanted to mm -hmm. film with the Academy. But actually one of the student's fathers is um, a cinematographer or a DP, I believe. And he, director of photography, if you don't know what a DP is. And he just loved, you know, the environment that the, the Debbie Allen Dance Academy provided and he wanted to record it. And so for months he was recording the rehearsals of these students and um, they put it together, edited it together and then sent it to uh, Shonda Rhimes and she loved it. And that's yeah. how it came to come to Netflix and to our eyes. Yay. And I'm glad I did, man, because that opened my eyes to a whole lot of history I didn't know. So I was thankful for that. Yeah. And I think the documentary is so great because you don't only just get to see like the show progressing, but also you get to, you know, just hear more about the history of Black dancers in mm -hmm. general. And I think that's really cool, too. Yeah. So that is our Black unicorn, Miss Debbie Allen. I hope I did it justice. I know Trish normally bodies this segment, so <laughs> great. <laughs> so let's get into our "Let's Get Real" segment, where we are talking about favorite Black Christmas movies. We have what, like, five movies on the list? Six. So, what would you say is your favorite uh, Christmas movie in general? I think it's Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger when he is basically running across trying trying to get that little action figure for his kid. I fucking love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> that is a really good movie oh man i haven't seen that in a really long time actually yeah oh my god if it's everyone just like on cable i'm definitely watching that shit gosh i don't i don't know what my favorite christmas movie is and i feel really bad for saying that i will say uh the grinch is one of my favorites i do really enjoy that one too yeah it's definitely top five. Oh, after watching um preacher's wife i feel like that's one of my um new favorite Christmas movies because I forgot how good it was like how magical it felt 
Yeah, man. But before we get into these movies, why don't we talk about like, what are the ingredients for a good Christmas movie, specifically Black Christmas movie? Because I feel like there are certain themes that all Black Christmas movies have. Yeah, man. I think for me specifically, I need a big meal. I need snow. I need holiday decorations. And I need some kind of like internal family conflict to be worked out. Yeah, I think for Black holiday movies, there's always like the big family dynamic. There's like normally like some type of like family loss. Like, yeah, there's there's something that the family is struggling with this Christmas holiday. Like, like the head of the family has passed away. Yeah, that's normally the one. That's normally the one yeah. to go to. Um, there's normally some type of like religious component. You know, like you have to. You know, like people go to church. Yeah, people go to church on Christmas or the day before or whatever. Also, there's normally dueling siblings. Yeah, it's never everybody getting along. <laughs> there's the uh, like philanthropic feel or like the volunteering or like giving back, which I always love to see in movies. Yeah, just like altruism in general. Like people like around Christmas time, I don't know if you guys noticed, but suddenly everybody's a good person. Everybody's more patient <laughs> and kind and shit. But there's something really feel good about Christmas movies where that's what they do, man. They just take all the best qualities about like people, throw it into like a Hallmark card and then just that's what we get. And it's I eat that shit up. I need that feel good aspect in my Christmas movies. Yeah, I love a Christmas movie that feels like Christmas from the very beginning. So I did think it was interesting, though, because when I was looking for these, you know, Black Christmas movies, there's like a gap in how many Black Christmas movies were made, like certain periods of time. So oh, yeah, like, this was dope. This was a dope finding. So like one of the first Black Christmas like movies or specials that I came across was Fat Albert's Christmas special, which was made in 1977. I'm sure there's probably something before that, but mm-hmm. that was the one I came across. Okay, so The Kid Who Loved Christmas, which came out in 1999, and it also had a small appearance by Sammy Davis Jr. I haven't seen this movie, but me just reading the byline sounded really depressing. So oh. it's about this... Um, young boy Reggie he was an orphan and he was adopted by a jazz musician and his wife tragically right as they were about to adopt him the family dies in a car accident and the social worker doesn't approve the adoption so it's like that's the Christmas movie yeah man (laughs) that doesn't feel like Christmas it doesn't feel like Christmas but I would watch it Vanessa Williams is in it Michael Warren's in it but I was just really caught off guard by that being the Christmas movie so then there is like a big gap of time of black Christmas movies and then we jump into this era of like mad black Christmas movies around 2013 yeah now tell them why and we were wondering (laughs) what was going on like why were there so many black Christmas movies made around this time what was the political climate maybe there is no correlation but maybe there is but if you don't remember around this time was in 2012 was when Trayvon Martin passed, was killed. And um, so I was like, well, maybe that has something to do with people feeling like they need a different narrative for black people. And they just want to feel, we just want more hope. We want to see more loving and positive stories on television and in movies. 
Yeah. So we started putting ourselves in Christmas movies. That was, that's kind of dope though. You never notice how the two relate until you notice how the two relate. Yeah. I mean, if that's one of the reasons why people felt the need to write more Black Christmas movies, I'm totally for it. Like, especially this year, I feel like this year is probably one of the years where within the next two, one to two years, we're going to have so many amazing Black stories come out of this year alone, because one, we've had time to really just sit and process things and give our, our talents and our crafts time to develop and grow. And then also all of the tragic shit that's happened will definitely evolve into something greater. So, yeah, man. all right, so let's move on to our list. Do you want to start, Trish? Yeah. So you were talking about The Preacher's Wife earlier. So I think that's a good place to start. If you guys don't know, it's a magical collaboration between Whitney Houston and Denzel Washington. And what's the other guy's name? Oh my God, Courtney B. Vance. Don't do my man like that. I couldn't remember. <laughs> so in any case, it's basically a remake of this movie that, who cares, The Bishop's Wife or something like that. But it's like with sauce. They threw some sauce on that. So basically, Denzel is a wonderful angel that's come down from heaven to fix this marriage and help this preacher out. This was such a good movie. And I don't think I appreciated it as much as I should have. Like growing up, I watched this and I don't know that I appreciated it as much as I do now. Like yeah, watching it. I definitely didn't appreciate it back in, well, this movie came out in 1996. And I honestly don't even remember the last time I watched it. Me either. So it was a, this was really a good excuse to watch it again because I was just like, oh my God, this movie was so good, so magical. I forgot yeah. how well, I mean, I just forgot how magical Whitney Houston made it with her singing and like how how jovial Denzel was and he looked amazing and tasty and I just, <laughs> <laughs> I just really look, enjoyed man, it. That was, that was the funnest I can remember seeing Denzel look we were talking about that like he was so charming and like boyish in that movie that it was just pleasant because you always see Denzel being like Denzel and Denzel's not those things but it's just like it was so nice to see him like come out of that a little bit and he was just so smiling all the time really lighthearted. I loved it yeah I loved it too so oh my god this was just so disrespectful now that you've seen the <laughs> final project and for us to tell you what we're about to tell you, I feel like you guys are going to feel some type of way because I did. <laughs> you did. Right. So originally, like we said, this was a remake to a movie and the story originally was a white family. And so originally Julia Roberts was supposed <laughs> to play Whitney Houston's character. Boo. Okay. But we love Julia Roberts here, but boo. We love Julia Roberts, but this was not the movie for her. <laughs> This is like when they put Scarlett Johansson in everything. Like sometimes you just don't need to do that. Especially when it's supposed to be an Asian woman. Yeah. <laughs> like don't give, don't give her a black short ass wig and then just tell her to go out there and do some like karate moves or some shit. Like, nah, that's mad offensive. Like let the Asian woman do the martial arts, bruh. <laughs> Anyways. Yes, yes, yes. Sorry, everyone. You got to follow us on this journey today. <laughs> All right. So Julia Roberts was supposed to play this role, but once they, I don't know who threw out Whitney Houston's name, Denzel was like, we have to have Whitney Houston. And he legit worked magic for a year. Like it took him a year to convince her to do this role. And she said it was cause, um, what was it? Because she didn't usually, she didn't feel it was relatable. She didn't think she could relate to that character cause she didn't like nice guys. Yeah, she didn't connect to the character. And um, it's crazy you put this fact in here. <laughs> Yeah, about her going on the Oprah Winfrey show and basically saying that 
when she was filming The Preacher's Wife, there basically wasn't a moment during filming that she wasn't on some kind of substance. And I, you know, watching that movie, I could not fucking tell. You could not tell. And I guess I've never taken cocaine, so I don't know. Yeah, but I don't know what the, the effects of it would be, but I thought you'd be able to Normally tell. cocaine makes you a little more alert. I, I'm yeah. assuming so-called gives you that high of alertness for a little while. And yeah. I guess that's, that. maybe that's where that extra energy she needed to get the, get through the role I don't know I I wish we could talk to Whitney about this but yeah that really surprised me oh you were telling me something really interesting about Christmas movies too ding 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 fun fact time you were telling me about how they film Christmas movies because y'all know me I'd be actually be on sets and you were saying they usually film these movies in the summer so a lot of the snow in Christmas movies is actually just fake snow yeah like I mean every production is different some productions actually like go to Canada or, you know, we'll film during like the colder season. But a lot mm-hmm. of them um, film, you know, like when it's like spring or the summer because you want the production to be done by the winter to release mm-hmm. it. So a lot, of, sometimes they'll actually have a, a, I guess the ice shaving machine, like they'll bring in snow. Like I've seen sets bring in, what I don't want to say dumpsters, what are like the construction trucks? Like they'll bring those in and like dump snow on the set or whatever Mm -hmm. and sometimes they actually just have like fake snow like turf grass and like you can kind of tell the difference like the preacher's wife was totally shot in the dead of winter yeah they were cold as shit (laughs) they were freezing you saw the frost coming from their mouths like there was no denying that that. was the giveaway when we were watching the christmas movies and you were saying that i was like there's no smoke coming out of their mouths this is all fraudulent but I thought that was really interesting. Or like they'll have like a light winter coat on with no scarf yeah. or like. <laughs> no, they were just trying to keep Whitney and Denzel were trying to keep warm as shit in fucking New York in the winter. Heck yeah. And it was shot in Yonkers. Mm-hmm. So it's extra cold up there. Oh no. But okay. So what were our cons to this movie? What didn't we like? Um, basically, my only issue with The Preacher's Wife, and there wasn't a lot of them, was just that they had set us up because it felt like Whitney and Denzel should have ended up together in that movie. Like, I didn't oh know how it was going to make it work, but I really wanted them to be together in the end. I did too. Like, their dynamic was just so good. I really wanted them to be together. And so did Denzel when he was like, he changed the face right, of the character at the in the end. picture. That was so cute. That was so cute. <laughs> and then it like, more, he had to morph it back because God was mad. But I mean, that was probably the goal. They wanted us to feel that chemistry and they wanted us to like, oh, want so them to kind of be together. So but you know, I'm glad that Denzel was able to come down in his angelness and help the family out. More so, I feel like he helped out the church more so the relationship between Whitney Houston and her husband, Courtney. Yeah, I think he definitely made him understand how you're supposed to appreciate someone you're with. Yeah, but even throughout, like, ne- there was no time that he actually took her out. Like, even after all the stuff oh, that he, happened. Yeah, he was too busy. He didn't, he didn't make any quality time for her still throughout that whole movie. So I'm just like, okay. Okay, that might be a con too. It's so that's that a con. Time. Yeah, that's a con. But you guys should definitely still watch The Preacher's Wife. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. It's not like he was treating her like trash or anything like that. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's that... Like when you've been with someone for so long and they were, they knew each other since they were little kids. And so you start taking um, people for granted and not appreciating them as much. So Mm -hmm. Denzel Washington's character had to come down and remind him of that. It's a great movie. It's one of my favorites. 
Okay, so next on the list, we are going from the oldest movies to the newest, most recent movies. So next on the list is Friday After Next, which came out in 2002. And this actually is one of my favorite Christmas movies. I didn't want to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I love how ratchet this movie is. Like this is after Friday. I like Friday After Next. And then the second one. I like this one though. It actually really does feel a lot like a Christmas movie. From the, from the get-go when Santa Claus breaks into their house and fucking basically beats Craig with a, uh, with a Christmas tree. Yeah, it's actually, <laughs> if, you have, if the, you have the HBO Max subscription, there's a check right there. But if you have that, it's free on there, so. It, yeah, so if you don't know about Friday After Next, it is about Craig and Day Day. Um, they work as top flight security at the mall. They are security guards and their apartment is basically robbed by crackheaded Santa Claus. And so now they have to figure out how they're going to come up with their rent money. And so they have a party to get rent money. And just it's just about they're basically the next, what, day or two and all the craziness that happens around Christmas after they got robbed by Santa Claus. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I think that's why I fuck with Friday so heavy. Because, you know, remember we were having that conversation about like how the critics felt about sequels and stuff and how Black people as a whole feel about the whole franchise? Mm -hmm. I really fucked with this movie. Actually, Chris Tucker was supposed to be in Friday After Next, but he turned it down. Um, yeah. He, what did you say it was about? Oh, yeah. Chris Tucker was, was going to, he rejected his role for any of the, the Friday sequels because there was something about financial matters and wanting to take on like bigger major roles and stuff like that. But um, that was basically why we didn't see Chris Tucker anymore, but he was supposed to, they were trying to write him back into Friday After Next, but they couldn't like negotiate it. And I'm honestly not too upset about it because I feel like Day Day <laughs> character and Mike Epps did a great job in filling in the like, the, the humor that we lost from Chris Tucker's original character. And he filled it in, like he felt better I feel like he was a better fit for a Christmas movie too. Like for some reason, Day Day just feels like a better fit for a Christmas movie. Day Day is just a hot ass mess. So it's like with all the craziness that was happening in the movie, of course, you know, Mike Epps' character would be perfect. And then, okay, so what would you say was your favorite scene in Friday After Next? When they beat the guy's ass at the end, when they found the Christmas presents and stuff. <laughs> and they was beating the ass at the tree. Yes. I don't know why. Freaking, um... You know who that is in real life, right? No, who? Ricky Smiley. Oh, it was Ricky Smiley? Yes, that was Ricky Smiley oh, the whole time. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes. Damn. <laughs> well, that was one of my favorite scenes. They beat the hell out of Santa Claus. <laughs> I think one of my favorite scenes will always be when uh, Cat Williams has the damn uh, pliers on Old Boy's penis. Oh, yeah. We were talking about he tried how to molest him. <laughs> We were talking about how problematic that shit is, but like how the movie's still somehow enjoyable. And then also we were talking about the the scene with um Craig Craig Dad Pops. Oh yeah, and, how, and Miss Perry. Yeah, she tried to rape his ass too. And yeah, I was like, this is a, there's a lot of uh, questionable shit taking place in this movie, given you know it was made in 2002, but a lot of questionable <laughs> shit for 2020 taking place. So yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed Friday After Next. It's one of my favorites. Oh, actually, I will say um, about Friday After Next, one of my issues was I didn't really understand the relationship of Cat Williams and the lead girl. I, I had you explained it to me as like, he's a pimp and she just happens to be a woman that is dating a pimp. Because I was like, wouldn't he want her to like 
sleep with Craig and Day Day and everyone else like as a pimp, but you were explaining to me like the dynamics of pimping. Pinky's character. Like Pinky is kind of like a pimp too. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I just saw Cat Williams as like a mini pimp. But you can be a pimp and not like pimp your women out for money. You could pimp them out for <laughs> Yeah, you were explaining to that to me. And I was like, I did, I was not aware. I was unaware. I mean, in my <laughs> mind, you could be a pimp and pimp them out for other things. Maybe. Are you talking about just like the swag of a pimp? You talking about like you could just be a swaggy pimp without pimping? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it sounds like you're saying. I mean, no, I mean, because he's pimping her out in the sense of he's like, he has her working in the store. Like she's helping run his business. Like he's getting free labor from her. I mean, that kind of just sounds like capitalism. <laughs> sounds like he's a pimp to me. Like he's <laughs> playing the fuck out of her. <laughs> all right you might be you might be on to something Capitalism what is the definition of a pimp let's look this shit up we have a new theory definition here. of a pimp a man who controls prostitutes and arranges clients for them taking part of their earnings in return so um i guess he's not a pimp i don't know we never got cat williams character is he a pimp is he not a pimp i thought he was a pimp because he had maybe he's just pimp associate he's pimp affiliate what we he's need is pimp someone affiliate with a degree in pimpology pimp adjacent he is pimp yes, adjacent. he is pimp adjacent mia <laughs> that's what it is because he, is he had adjacent. he had down pimp don juan or whatever the man's name is he was in the movie too at the store yeah. buying, buying clothes so maybe or maybe i just don't know maybe i just don't understand pimping i and, don't have the sauce. We, we don't need you to understand pimping no it's okay you don't need to understand pimping you will never be pimped out <laughs> no but but somebody can pimp me without pimping me out right <laughs> all right we're about to transition to the next movie because we just went up two left we made about we made three lefts now we're coming back on track all right <laughs> here we are welcome back everyone all right, so we're going to transition into our next movie this Christmas, which came out in 2007, starring some of our favorite actors, Chris Brown, Idris Elba, Regina King, Lauren London. Um, oh, Lord, there's so many more. There's so many more. <laughs> you know, we <laughs> were talking. Divine. Oh, Sorry, go ahead. No, you're fine. Um, we were talking about how that might be Idris's probably one of his lowest roles which says a lot about his filmography because this christmas is one of my favorite christmas movies but that was probably like on his catalog one of his his lower roles not you mean not the best yeah i i I, but the thing is exactly it was like one it wasn't his strongest role but somehow like (laughs) this was still a fucking great movie i enjoy this movie every year Oh yeah, I do enjoy the storyline because it gives us so many of those themes we were talking about with Christmas movies about, you know, the the dueling siblings and mm-hmm. the the family loss in the sense of them having lost their dad freaking or their mm-hmm. dad left them years ago, but still dealing with that, you know, trauma of it. Just the the patriarchy dynamic between Idris and um Loretta Loretta's boo in the character, uh Delroy Lindo is the actor's yes. name so yeah it's it, it has so many of those themes in it I think what would you say is your favorite part about this Christmas I like a, a good story and I think everybody acted really good in it and I think it was just a really good story overall plus I really like the last name of the family because 
a great last name. And I think it's just one of those movies that actually like feels like Christmas the entire time. Like they have these little traditions and it's kind of cool to watch brothers and sisters hang out the way they did in that movie. Like when they were going out to the club and stuff together and it was like Lauren London would pop up and be like, oh, I want to come too. And I was like, this is a really cute like sibling dynamic if nothing else. It was nice. I do agree with that. I love the family tradition. They went and got the Christmas tree. Um, they, yeah, they went out even though they got in a fight, oh boy, got mm-hmm. in a fight, but it was cute seeing them out and supporting Chris Brown. It just represents like growing up with siblings. Like if you do bring a guy home for like the holidays and stuff, what that feels like, what that looks like, it's just very like realistic. I really fucked with that. I feel like that dynamic of like bringing your boyfriend over to like for the holidays and actually staying at the house never happened to me. It's not something I've experienced. Oh, and no, I they didn't stay for me. Exactly. That's yeah, what I like. They didn't her, stay. Lord, his boyfriend <laughs> stayed at the house and I was just like, hmm. yeah, yeah, that was that part was unrealistic for me, especially, you know, being in the South, but just bringing them home and, you know, them getting called your little friend and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very good. I think that part was so funny at the table. They were like, well, uh, her major is dependent on who she's dating at the time. Yes. Yes. Which is cute. I thought that was cute. She's still that is not cute when she's, <laughs> she's been in school herself. for like seven years. <laughs> she's still figuring it out. Live your life, man. Um, it's actually on Hulu and Netflix if you guys have those and you can watch it. I also thought it was really dope that Makai Pfeiffer actually executive produced this uh, this Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought that was cool because he was actually in this movie and also our next movie, which is almost Christmas. Yeah, Makai Pfeiffer loves Christmas movies is what I'm seeing happening here. All right, so let's get into almost Christmas. I know we're skipping over the best man holiday, but since these two movies, this Christmas and almost Christmas align so well. Yeah, they belong to the same universe for sure. Yeah, so Almost Christmas came out in 2016, and this was also produced by Will Packer, um, who also helped produce this Christmas. And so Will Packer basically wanted another like amazing Christmas movie. He wanted to follow up what he did with this Christmas. He wasn't able to do that before, and he was like, he felt like Almost Christmas was the perfect movie. Almost Christmas is about a dysfunctional family that gathers together for their first Christmas since their mom died. And I think once again, we're talking about those Christmas themes and black movies. And this mm-hmm. is a, this one weighs heavily on family loss. And yeah. what I love so much about this movie, which is different than the other ones is that we're looking at the patriarch of the family trying to hold things together instead of the matriarch, which we see so much in other movies because mm-hmm. actually when we talk about like these two movies belonging to the same universe this christmas was basically through the eyes of the matriarch you know and this one in um almost christmas we're seeing it through the eyes of danny glover who is the patriarch the head of that family so with danny glover being the patriarch in almost christmas he had this this interest in kind of recreating the dynamics of you know the like being the head of the family and doing the things the mom was doing the year before or whatever And he had this thing with trying to figure out her sweet potato pie recipe. And I thought this was such a sweet component of this movie because I was telling you, like, for me, food is like an intimate thing. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's an intimate act to ask somebody if they've eaten. It's an intimate act to feed someone. So for me, that was such a strong family dynamic was him trying to recreate these meals that were made with like so much love. Yeah. I mean, he was trying to really keep the family traditions going and, you know, it's so cute, like, even when he was like, he was struggling so much to figure out that recipe and his granddaughter 
um, came in and he was like, Grand Grandpa, have you been cooking? Have you been smiling while you cook? He was like, Grandma always does that. And I was just like, oh, that's so such a beautiful moment. And that's one thing I also appreciate about Almost Christmas is that the kids had purpose. Yeah. I, I freaking love that everybody in the cast had a purpose and they just weren't there just to be there. Like they had lines, they had mm-hmm. like their character was going somewhere within the yeah. movie. I think it's so realistic when you have these moments of like children being able to teach you something because that's yeah. so so freaking realistic and just seeing the the cute little moments that the kids were having with their grandpa um and any of the other adults is just that those are the things that I specifically love about Christmas movies I was gonna say that should definitely be an ingredient for Christmas movies is kids teaching adults something <laughs> that's definitely an like you sprinkle that on the top of it <laughs> Don't let it get to their heads, though. These little kids out here. Right. These little smart asses. <laughs> so I also think within most Christmas movies, like there's always like mad siblings for one. Mm-hmm. Like it's normally a big family. But within the family, there's always like certain personalities. So yep. in Almost Christmas, we had, you know, Gabrielle Union was the independent woman, mm-hmm. while her sister, Kimberly, who was also very independent, was the bougie sister. Mm-hmm. And then we have um, uh, Christian, who was the negligent father, who was the overworker. Um, we have Jesse T. Usher's character, who was the spoiled young one. There's always the youngest that's spoiled. Right. And then we have Monique, who was the aunt, who was, you know, the can't cook family member, which is always in Black movies. I don't know that it wasn't that she couldn't cook. I just think she was cooking some wild shit. Cause she had some shit from Russia. She had like a bunch of different foods that they weren't used to. So didn't nobody want to eat it. Or I feel like there's also the family member that got the moving on up family member that like made it yes. out the projects. Made out She's the, the rich <laughs> auntie that just flies in and is cooking you shit from Morocco, like on her travels and stuff. That's what she was doing. She was just a rich auntie. Yes, she definitely was the rich auntie. I, yeah, I like the the family dynamic in this one. I thought all the characters were, I thought they were all believable. I feel like Gabrielle Union's character was just a bit too much. She was exaggerated for sure. (laughs) Like she was just very, um, what's, if, if, if it was classified something, like she was just very like angry and just like overly, like over the top sometimes. Yeah, a little bit. And it's interesting because of, um, Regina King's character in This Christmas, who Regina King normally plays very, very strong characters and roles, mm-hmm. but she was actually attracted to This Christmas because she felt that it would be a challenge for her to play this submissive role. I appreciated it because she has my favorite freaking scene in that whole movie is when she was fed up with her her cheating husband and she put that baby oh, on yes. the floor. Oh, <laughs> yes. I love that scene. And she's like, why don't you come on out here? He yes, him and the hell out of him. Literally whooped him with a bell. I mean, we are not condoning I, I, <laughs> domestic yeah, y'all violence. We are not condoning that shit, but but that shit was funny, and he deserved it. Oh yeah, Loki, Loki, Loki deserved. And because he was being mean too, he was like, just rude. He was disrespectful, yeah. taking her for granted. Like he was, he was disgusting when he yeah. had her cook her or uh, cut up his food. I was like, oh, she's she's in the sunken place. Like, <laughs> he has her. So even with um, this Christmas, like I was saying with, like, the kids, I feel like this Christmas did not take advantage of the kids. Like, the kids were just props yes. in this Christmas compared to almost Christmas. And I forgot that Regina even had kids. Like, 
<laughs> what's going on like they were not you there to teach you anything no you they were there for the pretty photos they were adorable like oh that's such a waste but that aside both of these movies are really good really cl- classic black christmas movies yeah. and i think will packer helped to do a great job with both of them so we are going to transition into our next movie which is best man holiday which came out in 2013 and if you don't know Black Man Holiday, um, Black Man Holiday, <laughs> best, <laughs> best Man <laughs> That's basically what it was. Yeah, that was basically the summary of the movie. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. All right, so if you don't know, Best Man Holiday is the sequel to The Best Man. Um, and this is about a group of friends and this movie is like probably the most depressing movie yeah. the most the one that pulls at your heartstrings the most but out of this so list rewarding. but it's it is a, it's still like the feel-good christmas movie that you really get to enjoy because it really does bring together like the family dynamic and also like your tribe and i think this movie does a great job of really showing how people create their own like families and mm-hmm. tribes through their friends and the people that they know. And I love that about it. And it's like, this movie shows you how messy families can be because families are so messy, but it shows you how messy like your family friends can be mm-hmm. and how you guys could like rekindle and reconnect and come back together. So I appreciate that about Best Man Holiday. Yeah, it sets the bar really high because I was saying earlier about like how Christmas somehow brings out the best in everyone. Even the Grinch, you know, is the best person during Christmas. So I think The Best Man is one of those movies that that shows that really well. Like even the way like just watching her in Morris Chestnut's, um, Mia and Morris Chestnut's relationship and how much he listened to her and valued her and all these different things. It was just bringing out the best in all the characters, even though some of them like needed to redeem themselves. It was just bringing out the best in everyone. And I really love that. I agree. I agree. And so what would you say is your favorite uh, scene from the movie? I kind of feel like it's like the scene from the movie. <laughs> um, when they were singing, uh, Can You Stand the Rain? Oh, yeah. Can yeah. you stand <laughs> they killed the that rain? It's so cute. <laughs> And it was funny. Yeah, the dance moves and everything. Right. And they and they did so well. They were good, such good lip syncers. And it was funny because um the girls, they didn't, or the women, they didn't know that the guys were gonna do that. Nobody told them. The director didn't tell anybody what was gonna happen. So the reactions are real. Like when they're pulling out the phones and clapping and laughing and all that stuff. I thought that was cute. That is so wild. It is really cute to know that now, like looking back yeah. and watching it. That's really cool. But it is sad because I would say maybe like the last 30, 40 minutes of it is just sadness. Yeah, it's so sad. It's a rough ride. It makes you go through so many emotions because, you know, we have that. We have the situation with the wife that freaking had the, um, the tape of her basically, you know, being a prostitute. Oh, Regina Hall. Being a sex worker. Yeah, Regina Hall being a sex worker. We have that situation that led to a huge fight. And then you have the situation of Mia having cancer and that's a huge situation. Then you have the situation of Tay Diggs trying to uh, basically support his family and doesn't know how to do it and really wants to try to rekindle his friendship with his best friend, but also is trying to take advantage of this opportunity Mm -hmm. of writing his autobiography. (laughs) So 
let's talk about Tay Dick's character first of all. And that's a that's a complicated character because you like him and you're like rooting for him, but you also are like, stop doing fuck shit. Like you want him to be better as a character. So I guess they do a good job in making sure you're invested in the characters because, you know, I was invested in Mia's health and well-being. I was inv- I was just as invested as Morris Chestnut was about Tay Diggs doing what he did twice, being a snake in the grass. <laughs> like they're really good at just drawing you into the characters, which I appreciate. Tay Diggs, Tay Diggs was, was tripping though. I know Tay Diggs was so frustrating in this movie just because you know, you kind of know that this time he is really coming from a good place. But then of course, Mia Long's character is an opportunist. And so now it's like, like even though she's not trying to be opportunist in a negative way, Mm -hmm. but it kind of like that wasn't the way he needed to approach the book, bringing up the book. And so it just went left. The problem is, is had they not found out that Mia had cancer, this is my irritation with Tay Diggs' character. If they hadn't found out, would he had even cared that he had gotten caught? Like, would he have even cared that he was lying and being deceitful? Because what he was gonna do what he was gonna do regardless. Like he showed up with the intention of writing it regardless. He didn't have Lance's or Morris Chestnut's permission. So he was always gonna kind of be a snake. It's just that this made Morris Chestnut realize like, I just can't hold that against you, like what you were trying to do. And I think that's why they added that scene where Terrence Howard had asked Tay Diggs, like, did you need money? And Tay Diggs was like, yeah, and he started crying or whatever. It was because they were trying to set us up to understand that his motivations were a little more complex than just him being a snake in the grass. That was my long-winded analysis. (laughs) I think that was an amazing breakdown. That was so good because I didn't, I didn't connect those two, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. The best man holiday is so good. And it's crazy because they're because they ended the movie off with uh, you know, giving us like the vibe and the feel that there could be a third movie yeah. coming out with Terrence Tower getting married. And actually there was supposed to be the best man wedding that was announced in 2014 and it was set to be released in 2016, but it is still on hold. So we need that. We need yeah, that Yeah, I'm asking for that. You know how they always give a shit we're not asking for? Nobody asked for that. But I, I wanted this. Nobody asked for Sharknado, but I want this. <laughs> <laughs> and also, because they did so well with the sequel, normally it's really hard to come to make the sequel mm. better than the original. But the sequel is just as good as the original in my eyes. We were talking about that, like which one was better, the best man or best man holiday. And we were saying the only reason the best man is better is because no one's dying of cancer, you know? Of course, yeah. yeah. It's not as much like, sadness. <laughs> exactly. Like the best man holiday is just like a good, t- it's like watching the wood or something. It's just like a good time. But watching the best man holiday, you're like too invested and your emotions are all wrapped up in it. It's just... You know the end is just sad but i feel like the only way they were able to get away with this like such a sorrowful storyline is because they connected the holidays to it in christmas because and all the redemption know, and stuff like that so much redemption but it's so relatable in the sense of like so much loss is does happen around the holidays like so many families do lose loved ones unfortunately during mm-hmm. the holidays and it's like such a good reminder to like really cherish those moments with your loved ones and I think it was I think it was just it was just they just connected everything so beautifully even Mia's like final wish of like basically having Lance beat that that record and win the game yeah that was cute was really nice and sweet also yeah sorry sorry to bring up so yeah I don't know how we transition from this we just move on quickly I mean no it's it is what it is this is realistic like loss happens and um yeah I would just definitely 
for all those people that have lost loved ones during the holidays. We wish you the best and we hope that you guys can cherish the memories and remember the amazing times that you have with your loved ones and continue to cherish the memories that you are able to create with the people around you. So we are going to transition into Jingle Jangle, which is a Christmas journey. And that came out this year. Yes. When I was waiting for this shit too, man, I was waiting for this movie. Jingle Jangle is legendary. This is like one of my top Christmas movies from now on. My kids and I will be watching this every year. Yeah, this is like this is like our what's an iconic Christmas movie that all family maybe the Grinch, like the this freaking is like Christmas our... story, which they play nonstop every year. A Christmas on... story? Yes. Do you remember that movie? Yeah, I love that movie. You're talking about where it's like you'll shoot your eye out, kid. Yes. Yeah, I love that movie. <laughs> Uh, I don't love that movie as much as everybody else does. Um, that's one of my favorite Christmas movies. But yeah, man, let's get into Dronicus. You know, outside of like romantic Christmas movies, this is one of those movies that just gives you magic, man. Like it really mm-hmm. embraces Christmas through magic. And I'm such a big like fa- like black fantasy, black sci-fi type person too. So it's just really nice to just see this take place, but like in a Christmas setting. So this world comes to life and it's about this eccentric toy maker named Dronicus. And he creates this invention. I still don't know what this invention is, but it's a really cool little robot thingy. And basically you have to believe that it works for it to work. But yeah, man, um, it's just it's just about believing. And I think that's just such such the Christmas spirit, man. I agree. I really love this movie. Um, I love the magic of it. I loved the bringing in the aspect of, um, it's cool to be smart and be nerdy and Mm -hmm. to have vision and to be a dreamer and also to want to be great. Like Geronicus wanted to be great. He wanted to be known as the best toy maker in the world. And I think that ambition is so beautiful to see. It's also what makes the story like hurt you so much when you realize Mm -hmm. that all of his toys were stolen. All of his toy inventions were stolen by his apprentice, someone he trusted. And it's like so realistic. Like that happens in everyday life where people will like stab you in the back. Yeah. <laughs> and it was so, yeah. And going, and then he tried to go through like the kid and stuff. Like that guy was not, it was stopping at nothing, but it was cool. Cause even it, there was a lesson in here about like, what's for you being for you, because even when he did take it, because he didn't understand how it worked, that you had to believe into it, believe in it for it to work. Like he couldn't make it work in front of all these investors and stuff, even when he stole the invention. So mm-hmm. it was kind of like a testament to like, if it's for you, it's going to be with for you regardless. Like it's not something that you can steal. It's not something that somebody can take from you. Like it, it's, it is you and you're the only one that can make that thing work. Facts. And it's always that saying of like, regardless of how oversaturated your industry is or the mm-hmm, world yeah. is, there's like no one like you, like you are an original. And that yeah. that was definitely Geronicus. And imagine if he thought that way, even though he was betrayed in such a big way, imagine all the other things he could have created if he continued mm-hmm. to like oh, keep man. his spirit up. But, you know, the story wouldn't have been the same. No, <laughs> no. But the fact that like he could create something with with magic and with that strong of a passion for something to just be able to put it all into this little machine and make it run off of beliefs. This machine is basically Tinkerbell. Yeah, it was really cute. All right, so David E. Tauber wrote and directed this movie, Jingle Jangle, and it actually took him, I believe, 10 years to get the project made. He wrote this um, play like a really long time ago 
And um, he originally started off as a playwright. So I think you could tell that it feels like it should be something that's yeah. on Broadway or something. It, the pacing is interesting because it's it, it's it does feel like you're watching a play because some scenes feel really long and others like where they shouldn't be that long. But it's still enjoyable. Like the aesthetic of the movie is beautiful. The music is great. So you don't necessarily feel like all the time that's passing, even though it is a long ass movie. Oh, and speaking of the music, John Legend was part of that, which was dope. That's exactly why the music is so amazing. Yeah, John Legend was part of that and bringing that music to life. So I think that was really dope because I, I enjoyed it as a musical. And musicals are hit or, miss, hit or miss sometimes. You never know what you're going to get, but I like this one. A Christmas musical? Could I ask for more? But it was so amazing because it really gave off the energy of Black Panther mm-hmm. in the sense of how Afrocentric it was, how Black focused it was with the you know the costumes and the hair and the dance moves like everything you know was meticulously placed and you could tell that they really thought about how they wanted the story to come across to the audience and even just within the costumes you could see the Ankara print but it was also a Victorian influence with the costumes as well and I, I just thought it was like really beautifully done and that was also I'm just remembering, I read an article about this, um, but that that style, the Ankara Victorian style was actually brought about by uh, David E. Talbert's wife, who was mm-hmm. actually a producer on uh, this movie. And so she really took the reign in creating like the aesthetic of the movie. And I think it's just so beautiful how they were be able to work together to create this after, you know, he wrote it 10 years ago. So I think it's really dope. That reminds me of the way they were dancing too. Do you remember the snowball fight scene? Where, oh my God, I love that yes. scene. And so, they were hitting them African moves. The like, best, I don't know what, what country. Best I don't scene know, in Nigeria, the movie. Best but scene. they was fucking it up. Even yes. the little white kids was getting it. I was like, yes. But I think, I think that one scene, if you don't know anything about this movie and just watch that one scene, I think you'll get the essence of what this movie is. Because it is, it's Black people doing African dances in Victorian outfits with Ankara print underneath. And it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful scene. But yeah, the movie's just really beautifully done. And I think that scene is really, really beautifully done. That's my favorite scene in the entire movie. Okay, what else do we want to talk about from Jingle Jingle? Another movie where kids teach an adult something. Like, you want to know what's interesting? This little girl was resilient as hell. She gets dropped mm-hmm. off with this grandpa who's basically like, I don't want nothing to do with you. And somehow maintains her, she protects her energy so hard that she's still able to believe in this toy and like the power of like imagination and all this other stuff, even with this cynical ass grandpa. So I think this is another one of those like kids here, the kids seems like naive, like they don't know anything, but really they're basically helping you figure out who you are as a person. Yeah, and the little girl was exactly who her mother was when- yeah everything you know what I'm saying like the little the granddaughter was a complete replica of the mother and just how brilliant she was at that age Mm -hmm. but unfortunately her grandfather Geronicus wasn't able to like see that at the time because he was so like focused on his own sorrow the movie is also a great example of like how lost you can get in your own sorrow yeah and how like how dark your own like depression and stuff can get and so I'm, I'm glad that she was able to help bring him out of that but yeah, she was just, she was fearless. That little girl was fearless. Like she yeah. broke into the toy factory, her and um, her her sidekick. And I just, I just love their dynamic too. The two little kids. They were always dressed so cute. 
yeah they were always to the nines they were just so nicely but I love a like a cute kid duo like dynamic duo I love when kids are just able to carry a movie and a story like that's a lot to the writing yeah for sure so actually I was wondering because when we were watching we've been watching mad Christmas movies Mm. and we noticed we (laughs) noticed that all the white Christmas movies have carolers where are the black carolers where are the choirs going from house to house I want to hear those songs I don't think they exist outside of those movies because we were watching these black movies we were going back and thinking about like there's not really any caroling outside of Chris Brown breaking out into song but that's not caroling like there's not really any caroling that I can I can think of all I can think of is people singing I've never seen caroling in real life to begin yeah, with. Yeah, maybe that's just there. not something we do or participate in. Like, I don't know. I thought there might be some in Friday After Next, but there wasn't any in Friday After Next either. I don't know where these carolers are in real life. I would love to see some real caroling. Like, I, and just the fact that, not to make this a race thing or anything, but, you know, Black choirs be getting it. Yes. Black choirs are amazing and they just be getting it in general. So if I was just walking down the street and I heard a black choir caroling some Christmas tunes, <laughs> I would stop and I would donate, put the basket out there, y'all. Oh I would gosh. give some fun. And let them be going, let them, let them be going off too. They can just <laughs> have my wallet. Cause I love a good harmonizing, just like a good gospel song. Ugh, come on. And it would bring so much holiday joy. Yeah. That, that's an element of Christmas is having good Christmas music. But I guess that's what the church, the churches are like, well, you should come to church, sis, because yeah. we got that every weekend. Exactly. <laughs> they bring you, they bring you in for the singing. It's like, we're every not, holiday we're not season coming on to Sunday, you. We be out here. Yeah. Yeah. We're <laughs> not going to go door to door for you. You come to us. We have a whole church here. Join us. All right. So you guys, this was it. This was the season finale episode. We hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> we will be back come February with another season of Dope episodes we are starting in february so you know we're gonna get hot and juicy with some of our uh celebrity crushes we're gonna be talking about some of our favorite love movies romantic comedies things like that you know yeah you got any words for the people trish thank you for listening thank you for listening and good night